This is the To The Point Podcast. Together with our ERISA attorney, we'll explore key Affordable Care Act and trending compliance topics all in 15 minutes or less. Now here's our host, Sarah Gillespie. Welcome to our To The Point Podcast. This is Sarah Gillespie. I'm the Compliance Director at Lipscomb & Pitts Insurance in Memphis, Tennessee. We're going to talk about benefits compliance issues and hot topics going on in our industry right now. I have with me Stacy Barrow, our ERISA attorney. Hello, Stacy. How are you? I'm good, Sarah. Good morning. So, Stacy, it's May 2019, and in recent years, we've seen the Affordable Care Act fail to be repealed and replaced. We've seen legislation introduced to attempt to undermine some of the ACA requirements, like short-term limited-duration health plans, the expansion of association health plans, and then we've seen some of those efforts thwarted, like when the court recently vacated portions of the final ruling on AHPs. So, with an election on the horizon in 2020 and care still a main issue in the country. What updates do you have for us on the Affordable Care Act? Um, Sure. Yeah. So uh, in in March, the ACA uh, celebrated its ninth birthday Um, and it remains in effect. It it has been um, attacked and and parts have been repealed and this and that. But, you know, well, at least from an employer standpoint, it is still very largely in effect. in terms of an update, uh, as you know, in 2019, the individual mandate has been set to zero. The employer mandate and the ACE reporting soldiers on. Um, I'll talk a little bit about that in a second about you know what what might happen in the, in the future there. Um, but in the in the near term, um, in, as far as an update on the ACA, the, the biggest thing out there is this Texas versus Azar uh, lawsuit. Um, that's the one in the Fifth Circuit um, uh, Court of Appeals right now, um, where a district court in Texas at the end of last year issued a declaratory judgment finding the entirety of the ACA to be unconstitutional. And that stems from uh, the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act setting the individual mandate penalty to zero. And the the plaintiffs in the Texas case, it's Texas and a bunch of other states in 18 or 19 states um, and a couple of individuals. And the crux is that since the individual mandate no longer produces any revenue for the government, you can't really call it a tax. <clears throat> because it doesn't, you know, it doesn't produce any money, and and that was one of the reasons that uh, Justice John Roberts used when upholding the ACA back in 2012. He said, "Yeah, you know, the individual mandate it was kind of described as a penalty, but." In fact, it is a tax. It's in the tax code. And, you know, we know it's a tax because it raises money for the government. And, you know, so now it doesn't raise money for the government anymore. And therefore, if the individual mandate is unconstitutional, if it's not, you know, if it's unconstitutional, is is not a tax, then their argument is that the entire ACA should be invalidated from the patient protections to the Medicaid expansion to the Medicare Part D donut hole closures to the employer mandate to the ACA reporting, the entire 
thing should be struck down. And that court in Texas agreed, that district court was one judge, and he issued a, a declaratory judgment. He didn't issue an injunction, which would have you know ceased the law from being able to be implemented. He just, it's more of a declaration. Um, and he paved the way for an appeal to the Fifth Circuit. And so where we are right now, um, this kind of going to give us a couple of, of, of funny steps along the way. One of them is that the Trump administration has completely declined to defend the ACA in court. And this, of course, is something very unusual. Um, you know, we, we don't usually see um, a new president kind of come in and refuse to uh, implement laws that are in place. And when laws are challenged in court, what the administration is supposed to do is to defend them if any um, non-frivolous defense can be made for them. And of course, there are plenty of defenses that can be made that the ACA is not illegal. So at any rate, the, the Trump administration is getting out of this. They're not going to defend the law. And so the court has allowed a number of intervener states to come in and defend the law. Um, so right now, their briefing is kind of going back and forth. Um, we expect the first substantive brief by the defense um, pretty soon, and then we'll hear oral arguments in July. Uh, my early prediction for this case is I think the Fifth Circuit dismisses it for lack of standing. Um, the Fifth Circuit is very conservative, and they take issues like standing very seriously. And in order to have standing to sue, you actually need to have damages. Um, and so it's the way that this case has, has come about, it's brought by 20 states, but they also had to include a couple of individuals, a couple of governors in their individual capacity who can claim they've been harmed by the individual mandate still being on the books. And so the claim is that you know, they feel that they can't break the law by not purchasing insurance, even though there's no penalty if they chose not to purchase insurance. So as you can see, it's extremely tenuous. And I just, I don't see how, uh, you know, uh, an appeals court um, looks at this uh, and, and, and clears this. Um, it's very unusual. So that that's the, the big case that we have going on right now. Um, it certainly will be in the news as uh, decisions roll out. Some people think it'll get to the Supreme Court. I'm, I'll, I'll, bet a, I'll bet you a can of soda that this one just gets dismissed. Uh, and we'll, we'll see later this summer. Well, and certainly if we have any updates on that, then we will be recording another podcast. Um, what else? What else do you see on the horizon? Um, so it's, it's hard to believe, but I mean, it seems we're in campaign season for 2020. So I don't think we're going to see a ton of new healthcare legislation introduced. It's not like, you know, um, a couple of years ago when they were trying to do the repeal and replace and expand HSAs and that kind of thing. Um, there is one piece of legislation that I'm aware of that I think is kind of interesting. Um, and this is something, it was, it was introduced last year, it never went anywhere, and now it's getting reintroduced this year. Um, 
the name of it last year had a much catchier name, and the name was the Undo Sabotage and Expand Affordability of Health Insurance Act. And it was introduced by three high-ranking members of the Energy and Commerce Committee and the Ways and Means Committee and the Education and Workforce Committees. Um, and so basically what they were trying to do is to you know, do two main things fix the marketplaces and expand affordability. So, you know, they would have challenged some of these new regulations on AHPs and short-term limited duration insurance. And it also would have funded the exchange a little bit better. the, the funding for exchanges in some part has been cut by about 90%. Uh, funding for the navigators has also been slashed. And then the other element of it is to expand affordability. Um, and they would you know, basically allow anyone who is purchasing coverage through the marketplace to qualify for some type of subsidy. Um, They would expand the cost-sharing reductions, which makes the plan more affordable um, from a cost-sharing basis once you enroll in it, and it would also um, fix the family glitch. And, And that is something that it's it's called a glitch, but it's actually intentional. The government always does this with these kinds of programs. But the issue is that under the ACA, you can have a family that will be rendered ineligible for a premium tax credit if either of the spouses are eligible for family coverage that's affordable based on the employee-only rate. So you can have a company that gives the employee-only plan away for free, charges full freight for the family plan, and that locks the entire family out of the subsidy. Um, and again, it, it, unfortunately, it is an intentional feature of the ACA that the government has its reasons for doing these things. Um, but it does make it harder for a lot of people to get subsidies. Um, and, you know, why, why should we do something like this? Um, you know, there are two ways to get the ACA to go away. Uh, the features that we, we find tedious, like the employer report mandate and the ACA reporting. Um, you can appeal it or repeal it, right? And we have seen that's very, very difficult. Or you could enhance it fix some of the issues with it, get the expanded coverage, you know, get those last 15 or 20 million people in the U.S. covered, and then maybe you could repeal the employer mandate and the ACA reporting. And I, I say that from experience because we did that in Massachusetts. We had our own version of universal health care since about 2006. And in 2014, we repealed our employer mandate. Just we had enough. We felt we had enough coverage in the state and it was burdensome on employers and you know, it was able to be repealed. And, and that, you know, the, the Massachusetts model is the model for the federal ACA. So, you know, I think sometimes if you if we take care of the people that the ACA was intended for, then um, it'll uh, lighten some of the regulation on employers. That's at least my my philosophy. Hmm. 
Interesting. And so Stacy is actually located in Boston, which is why he can speak with such education on this topic. Um, so, okay. So predictions for the next year. I, I know you just said you didn't think that there was going to be a lot of new legislation introduced, but I was actually part of a conversation last week with a lot of the benefits compliance colleagues um, from a group I'm, I'm participating in. And they actually thought that it would be the opposite, that there would be a lot introduced, nothing passed. So I guess your position is the oh. opposite. <laughs> well, I, I guess I could clarify. Yeah, I don't think anything is going to be passed. Plenty of things are going to get introduced and used as a political football. Right. Um, you know, one of the things we're going to unfortunately have to hear about um, is, is Medicare for all, which, you know, is... is one would crash the economy um, and two would replace the employer system for group health insurance. And I know a lot of like, maybe younger folks or, or people might not appreciate um, the need for employer involvement in health insurance. You know, aside from the tax benefit that the employer can give you all these benefits on a non-taxable basis, from an insurance standpoint, employers are natural groups. They are perfect for insurance because they are a group that comes together other than for purposes of insurance. Um, so I just, I think it makes a lot of sense to, to have um, employers involved in benefits like this. Um, there's not a one size fits all approach that works even under Medicare. You know, there's supplements A through K. Um, and I just, I don't see any benefit to a, a government run system. Um, you know, despite my leanings toward, uh, toward uh, enhancing the ACA, certainly don't want any government run system. Well, thanks for your insight. I always appreciate where you come from and, you know, the different experiences that you have. And I know our audience does as well. If you are interested in learning more from Stacy, you have specific questions from him. You can always reach out to me and I'd be happy to connect you. Sarah G, S-A-R-A-H-G at LPinsurance.com. Please listen to any of our other podcasts for any other topics that may be of interest to you. Stacy, thanks so much for today. And everyone, I hope you have a great day. Thanks, Sarah. Thanks, everybody. Take care.